Well, greetings to each one of you in, in Jesus' name. And preaching just makes me nervous. But I will um, share just a little bit of my background. It uh, sometimes helps to understand possibly viewpoints and what people share. Um, I have a showalter name. And so I would quote fit in the book, but I didn't grow up in the Mennonite church. My dad would have grown up old order, and he left during the Korean conflict. Um, my wife would have grown up in the old order church, and we, God brought us together in a miraculous way, at least for me. might not be so miraculous for her. We, we are serving at uh, Bethany Mennonite Church. And uh, the difference between the address is about a quarter of a mile. It changes there just when the, when the road turns. We have seven children, and they range in age from 26 to 10. Marcus is here uh, for Bible school, and then we have some others that are home doing the chores, and we're grateful for that. It's often challenging to know what to share. And so, as I plan and prepare, pray, you know, I don't know what this congregation is in need of. And yet, I know that God is faithful. And so, what I have to share this morning is is something from the Old Testament, from the book of Job. And as our brother shared in Sunday school, some difficulties this week. You know, we all face some of those difficulties in life. And if you've lived any length of time, these difficult times come, and we do experience them, and yet somehow we make it through. But oftentimes we ask the question, why? Why God? You know, I was talking with Delmer Troyer down in Virginia about uh, two years ago, a year and a half ago, and he was sharing about Tyler. And he said Tyler just came home from uh, the mission field and he's he was struggling fitting back in. Maybe y'all can correct me if I'm wrong. But he said he was just struggling because he had been gone for four years, four years, and he felt like that he came home to a youth group that kind of passed him by. And then we heard of uh, Tyler getting, getting hit and killed. And so we, we often ask the question, why God? Why such a young, aspiring, Christian, zealous person, why, why should this happen? And maybe for you it's something else. Why did we have a fire? Why did we lose our baby? Why was a close family member killed or in a serious accident? Why did cancer strike our home, family, community? Why did our granddaughter, grandchild, whatever, get so sick? And these are personal experiences that, that maybe you have something else that you have faced. Why would a holy God... I want you all to think about this. Why would a holy and merciful God allow children in this world to suffer at the hands of evil men and women? Isn't it so unfair? 
Why does a just God allow innocent people to suffer in times of war or unrest? Why does God the Father permit sickness, disease, anything that comes our way that we deem as maybe less desirable in this physical life, this physical body that we have? And we need to go back to the fact that God is sovereign. God is sovereign and the answers to the questions that we're asking lie in the mind, the plan, and the word of God. And we have to recognize that. As we being the created creature, we need to come to the place where we, where we recognize how God views me. How God views you. We are needy creatures. I want you to turn with me, if you will, to Job, if you're not already there. We view Job, when we first discover him here in this book, we look at this person and we think, this guy has everything. When you first hear of the word, or his name, we often think of, man, he had it rough. He lost a lot of things, and he suffered a lot. But when we first discover him, he had it all. He was one of those guys that whatever he touched, it seemed turned to gold. And whatever he did, it prospered. In Job 1, it says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters, his substance also was 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all men of the East. This guy was a success story. Now, I, wanna, I wouldn't ask, I don't want to ask which one of you all are the most successful here. <laughs> Probably none of us would put up our hands. But this guy was one of those success stories. From what I understand in today's terms, Job would have been worth over $20 million. Not to mention how much land he had. And I don't know if you all know anything about history. I taught school at our Christian school back in Virginia for 10 years. I'm not currently teaching there now. But one thing that I really like is history. And John D. Rockefeller, he was at his time the richest man in the world. And someone asked John D. Rockefeller, he said, John, you have everything. What else do you want? And he said, just one more dollar. Just one more dollar. Just one more dollar. We look at Job's life and the seeming ease that he had at the very beginning and the wealth. And even as we look around us and we see people that are very successful, it often evokes a tinge of green in us. Envy. Wishing that things would fall to us like it does to someone else. But you know what? 
I'm convinced in talking with people in the life that we live that everybody is eking out a living. Some people, yes, have been more blessed maybe financially, materially than others. But we are living this life in this body of flesh. Making our payments, hopefully. Hopefully making ends meet. And if it doesn't make ends meet maybe this month, hopefully down the road we can make ends meet. But we care for one another. But as we look at this this character, this man, Job, he was not just content just to let things happen. He was a proactive person. Even in petitioning for his children after they were grown and gone from home, it says in verse 4, And his sons we went and feasted in their houses every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent, I want you to pay attention to this, this is Job's proactiveness, Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of all of them. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. And I'm assuming that this word, everyone is day. I mean, I like to try to put myself in the picture. That they were, they went to their house, they were invited their sisters, they came together, everyone his day. I'm assuming they had a birthday party. They got together and had a birthday supper. They got all their friend, their family together, everyone his day. That's what I think. I mean, when our children have a birthday, we invite them in or we go to their house. We have a big birthday dinner, supper, whatever, for their day. If we look then at the next verse, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man? Put yourself in this picture. Put yourself, these sons of men, sons of God, coming to present themselves before the Lord. And God says, Hey, have you considered you? What's your name? Put your name here. Have you considered Davy? Have you considered him? It says he's perfect and upright. One that feared God and eschewed evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear you for nothing? Does, God, does, Job, does Job fear God for naught? Hast, thou, hast not thou made a hedge about him, about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? That thou hast blessed the works of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power only upon himself put forth not thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. One thing we do need to recognize again is the sovereignty of God. 
God gave permission to Satan. Satan couldn't just go do what he wanted to do, but God gave him permission. And as we view the fall of man, as we look back at the Garden of Eden, God gave Adam a choice back there in that, in that garden. Adam messed up. Adam disobeyed. Adam failed. Adam sinned. And now we, as beings, have this thing that we need to kick against for the rest of our lives. Was it God's plan for Adam to fail in the garden? What do you think? I don't think God initially planned for that all to happen. I think He knew it would happen. But because He didn't create us as robots, as zombies, as someone that would just do whatever He so desired, He gave us the free choice. He allows us to choose Him. And no matter, I want you all to think about this, no matter how we view life, how we view eternity, how we view God or Satan, anything that happens, we have to come back to the fact that God is ultimately in charge of everything that ever happens. Everything. In Isaiah 40, verse 28, it says, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of His understanding, we in our finite minds try to understand all of these things that happen. And yet, His understanding is so far above ours that we can't. You know, we can say, well, I don't believe God. I don't believe that this happened. We can say all manner of things and you know, we can look at those that claim there is no God. We can claim people, I mean, we can see people that say there is no hell. But you know what? It really doesn't matter whether people don't believe in God, don't believe in hell, don't believe in heaven, don't believe in Jesus. It really doesn't matter in the scope of things whether you believe it or not. It may matter for you eternally. But the matter of fact is, God is the great I Am. He has created. He he is the sovereign. And yet He allows us to choose. Will I or will I not follow Him and live in obedience and do what He wants me to do? We need to recognize that Satan is under God. The battle is already won. And through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are victorious. As Christian people, we are victorious. The battle is won. Now, I don't know if you all like volleyball. I like sports. And you can tell fairly quickly if you see a team on the court, whether that team is going to do well or if they're going to flop. Now, I don't know if... uh, you want to 
jump on that court and help the losing team or if you want to jump on that court and be on the winning team. But I tell you what, I want to be on the winning team. But I also want to be there to help those that may not be winning be a winner. But we can see through God and His plan, the battle is won. Satan has been defeated. The the plan has been laid out by God for each one of us. And all we need to do is step in on the willing the winning team the bible clearly states in the old and the new testament that every knee shall bow it says in isaiah i have sworn by myself the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and it shall not return that unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess and in philippians that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And for us today, we can humbly bow now or we can be made to bow later. I want to humbly bow now. It's a simple choice. It's not human reasoning. It's not that we understand it or not, but it's that we understand God is sovereign. The plan has been laid out. We need to step in on the winning team. It's a simple choice. In our mind, in our carnal mind, it says in Romans 8, the carnal mind is enmity, is against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. I want to ask you a question. Do you believe that for the most part, we create most of our own troubles. What do you think? For the most part, we create most of our own troubles. Is that a true statement or not? What do you think? I'm a teacher. I want your response. This means yes. I understand that sometimes calamity comes. But most things happen because of a choice. For instance, as our brother was sharing, I couldn't help but think about how this tied in. And I don't know what happened to your truck. But for instance, you all know that if you don't put oil, and I don't know if he did this or not, if you don't put oil in your vehicle, it's going to eventually quit running, right? How many of y'all are mechanics? A couple? Any? Okay. True statement? Right. Ladies, if you don't weed your garden, you'll probably get very little produce, correct? We had, this summer, one of the wettest years we've ever had in Virginia. And our garden was awful. No, no offense to my wife. She's a, she does really well with gardening. But we could not get into the garden to till it. Because every time it was just almost dry enough to till, rain again. And so we had to wait. And the weeds grew. 
And we planted the garden. And yet, there was nothing there, or very, very little there, because there was too much competition. We couldn't get in there to care for it properly. And you know as well as I do that if you don't mow your grass, it's going to eventually turn into a jungle. There was a field that we drove by to church for, for years. And they put it in the CREP program. I don't know if you all have that here. This was a tilled field beside the creek. It was beautiful. It grew some beautiful corn. But they put it in the program and they fenced it and they planted trees here and there and everywhere. And that thing turned into a weedy, thistly jungle. And today that thing is still in the program. But the trees are tall. The weeds are not quite as big. But today, 18 years later, it's no longer a tillable field. The same is true for godliness. For each one of us. If we don't pull the weeds, if we don't put the oil in, if we don't take care of these good things, what's going to happen? It's going to go downhill. Job was a righteous man, and even in the face of terrible calamity, he remained faithful to God. And even though Satan used every tactic in the book to get to him, he remained faithful. We've read only a small portion of Job here, and yet he lost everything. And I want to read about that just now. It says in verse 13, And there was a day when his... his, Excuse me. Back up and start over again. And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job, and he said, The oxen were plowing, and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell, uh, alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and has burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I only am escaped to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another. Now, I'd be getting fairly weary. And said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young men, and they are all dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Why, God? Why, God? This last section of verses stands out to me more than anything. Losing a child. Our daughter is married. They have one little girl. But she's had three miscarriages. And it breaks our heart. It breaks their heart. Delmer and Karen, 
Lost a son. Maybe some of you all have lost somebody that has been close to you. <clears throat> Why God? And I don't know if you've heard the story, but in July of 2007, our family went on a camping trip to a, a lake there close by. We got there on Monday afternoon, evening. We set up the camper. We had a nice supper together as a family. And the next morning, we saw a, uh, a ranger walking through the campground, driving through actually, and he was walking and he's looking at, at uh, numbers, the campsites. And he walked up to our campsite and he said, uh, are you Mr. Showalter? And I said, yes. And he said, <clears throat> You need to call home. He said there has been a family tragedy at home. Boy, that was a phone call we didn't want to make. We didn't know if it was my family, brothers. We didn't know if it was my wife's family, sisters. We didn't know what was on the other, line, the other end of that phone call, that line. So I called home and talked to her, talked to Paula's parents, and they started naming off names of people that were friends, family of ours, that were killed in a farming accident. Maybe you all know that. There were five that crawled into a underground manure pit, and they were all gassed. It was, it was our cousins. Scott was my cousin. Phyllis was hers, the mom and dad. Shana and Christina were the same age as our children, some of our children. Amos Stalsfus was the hired man. We owned a school van together. Our children played together. They went to school together. That Friday and Saturday, before we went to the lake, before we went to camping, Marcus, our, I'm sorry, Franklin and Wyatt, our two oldest boys, had been with Amos Stalsus, their hired man. He had been at the very dairy farm. They just lived right through the field, basically, from us. He had been there and helped them milk the cow. The, our children had been there helping milk cows. And Amos took them out for supper. He took them out. They, they helped him milk that morning. He took them out for breakfast. And then they helped him milk on Saturday afternoon. Franklin was about 13 years old. Wyatt was 11. And we invited Amos in for supper Saturday evening. He said, I'm going home. I need to study my instruction lesson for tomorrow. Amos had become a Christian. I don't know, six months before. Had our boys been at home, had we not gone camping? It could have been them in that pit. Excuse me. 
I marvel at the sovereignty of God. Apparently God was not done with them yet. But apparently the message of the death of this family was used for the glory of God. We learn, we, we mourn for them. We learn to cope with the loss, trusting God and realizing that life here is just a vapor. We are here for a season and then gone. We don't know when we walk out this door today whether our life will continue here in this physical or whether it's going to end up in eternity. Be ready. I'm glad Amos was ready. I'm glad that Scott and Phyllis were ready. I'm glad those two young girls were innocent children. But it says when Job faced all of this trouble, he was a wealthy man and he lost everything. It would have been the hardest to lose his family. But it says Job arose He rent his mantle, he shaved his head, and fell upon the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Rachel experienced some pain, our oldest daughter, in losing Three children. And it evoked in her, like, why God? Why are we have to go through this? Job lost his servants, except for one. I mean, except for a couple. He lost his health. He lost, he lost the support of his wife. And I don't know, men, how you would feel if you lost the support of your wife. But for me, I would be devastated. In Job 2, 9, it says, Then said his wife unto him, she was hurting as much as he was. She experienced the same amount of pain and maybe even more because of that emotional connection with her children and the things that she had because of the wealth that they had. And then said said his wife unto him, Dost thou retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. As one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall we not receive evil? In all this God did not sin with his lips. He lost his emotional health to the point that he wished that he had never been born. I've experienced some depression in life. And it's it's a place where I never want to be again. It is a hard place to be down looking up and thinking there's no way out. Job... Three, it says, after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed his day. And Job spake and said, let the day perish wherein I was born. 
in the night in which it was said, There is a man-child conceived. Job lost the support of his friends. He was accused of things that he didn't even do. And I don't know if you've ever faced anything like that in your life. But it is tough to face false accusations. It's tough to face difficulties in life. But if we look at that in the scope of eternity, if we look at that in the scope of what this man faced, went through, listen, our troubles are pretty small. My troubles are pretty small. We haven't lost anything in comparison to what this man of God as an example to us. And we read through this. I've read through this story so many times. And it's just a fairy tale. A story. But it is a fact. It is true. God carried this through His Word to us today as an example of someone that faced an extreme, extreme in life. And he remained faithful. Why God? And I know that we think our problems, our difficulties, our issues, our situations. You just don't understand. People just don't understand. You're not facing the same things I've faced. You just don't understand. But let me tell you something. God understands. He sent His Son. Out of the glories of heaven. To come and live in this life. He saw Him accused falsely. He saw Him beaten and spit upon. Scourged and crucified. He saw that happen. It was His Son. Any of you all want to give your children, any of your children, girls or boys, to face anything close to that? Not me. But you just don't understand. It's so hard for me. Guess what? It may be hard for you. But someone else has faced harder. Look in Scripture. Look at the example of Job. Look at the example of Christ. Look at the example of a loving God and Father. No matter what calamity comes my way, God has prepared a way for you. He wants us to be faithful, to be on that winning team. He wants us to pass that on. And guess what? If we don't have it, we're not going to pass it on. If we don't have faith in our lives, we're not going to pass it on. More is caught than taught. And we can teach till we're blue in the face. But if we don't have that faith within to pass it on, we don't have much to transfer. God's Word has been preserved faithfully for generations. We read the stories and we kind of disconnect until it's us. And then we cry out and say, why God? 
How do we embrace that faith? We recognize who we are in the sight of God. God, Holy Creator. We created sinful, needy. How do we get it? It says in Matthew 7, ask. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. When I was about 13 or 14 years old, I grew up going to the Church of the Brethren. They asked, hey, do you want to join church? And I was like, hey, that sounds like a great idea. So I went through the instruction class. I knew about God. I knew about Noah. I knew about Moses. I knew about creation. I knew about Jesus. I knew all of those things. I grew up in the church. We went to church. And at the end of that instruction class, they said, okay, we're playing the baptismal date. And so the baptismal day came. And my class was ushered up front. And we were baptized three times forward in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And I stepped up out of that water, hmm, wet, not changed. And it wasn't until three, four, four years, four years later, when I was 17, that I came to the place where I knew that I was lost. And it didn't matter how much I went to church. It didn't matter how many good deeds I had done. I was lost. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asks receives, and he that seeks find. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. My eyes were opened. When I was 17 years old and I recognized that I was a sinner in need of a Savior and I asked Christ into my heart and you know what? Scriptures opened up to me. But not only that, I recognized that there were things in my life that had to change. And I thank God for His mercy in changing those things over time. The Bible says that God is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Have you come to that place? If not, I beg of you to ask. And if you face some troubled times in life, look to God, the sovereign. He can help you be on the winning team. He can help you up out of the miry clay. Because it says in 2 Peter that God has given us, given us everything. It said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have Hope in Him. Let's embrace it. And then, when we need to ask the question, why God? He will answer us with His Spirit, with His guidance, with people to help us through.
for the glory of God. Lord bless you.